The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to The Second Stage. You know what's so wonderful about this time of year, Jeff? What is that? The Cleveland Browns, this is at the peak of their optimism right here. This is it. The Cleveland football community. We got the, you know, just this is where we peak. This is the up. This is this is as high as it gets. That that's an excellent observation. And what is the over under this year? And then we'll talk about this again in about three months and see how wrong even, you were. Yeah, I don't I don't think there is such thing as an over under when it comes to the Browns. But you know, you got your old quarterback and you got your you know, the you know, all this hype and stuff. But no, I it's uh, this is when it this is when it gets the highest. I guess it's probably not as high as last year, you know, when Johnny Manziel was coming to save us all. But uh, he's still coming. He's still here. He'll still That's an excellent observation. And what is the over under this year? And then we'll talk about this again in about three months and see how wrong even, you were. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there is such thing as an over under when it comes to the Browns. It's, you know, you got your old quarterback and you got your, you know, the you know all this hype and stuff. But no, I. It's uh, this is when it. This is when it gets the highest. I guess it's probably not as high as last year. You know, when Johnny Manziel was coming to save us all. But uh, he's still coming. He's still here. He'll still. He'll still do it for us. You know. Yeah, you know my opinions on that one. I think that one's already played itself out. So um, I hope not. You know, as you know, I'm a massive Steelers fan, but I live here in Cleveland. Cleveland is my home and I, I love Cleveland and the people here. And I feel sorry for them year in and year out when the Browns don't um, <laughs> meet their expectations or maybe they meet their expectations subliminally. But having said all that, I would love for the Browns to win a Super Bowl because it would be great for this town and my friends and my friends' outlook on life and so on and so forth. Well, thank God we're not professional football players, Jeff. Thank God we're second stage growth investors. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. I, I have a feeling we la- will last longer doing this than if we played professional football and getting our bells rung every day. Those people are big and fast, and they like to eat people for dinner or something like that. Hey, Jeff, I got something else. I uh, I don't know if you know, you remember. I suspect you do because I talked about it this morning. But I was blessed. I got to go hang out and learn a lot about one of our partner companies, Knowledge Center. They do incident management software. And I, I got to tell you, Jeff, I know you know this because I told you this morning, but I feel like I should share with everybody in the, in the audience. Very proud to be a shareholder of that company. Pretty darn neat. Uh Great group of people working extremely hard for you talk about their purpose. You know, their purpose was for for you know for 
personal safety or for people, you know, for public safety. And uh, so it's hard, you know, hardworking people working for other people. And uh, just a, it was a fun conference. It's amazing what, uh, what John DeGory and his team is doing there. Uh, wonderful, wonderful group of people that have a wonderful product. I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm just a little bit sold, Jeff. Well, let me dig a little bit deeper because uh, our guest today, uh, uh, part of the reason that he wrote his book, uh, break, uh, Performance Breakthrough, is because the Gallup organization did some research and concluded that only 29% of employees are truly engaged in the work that they do. So how would Knowledge Center be different than that? You know, obviously, uh, I don't spend every waking moment there, but I, I can tell you that uh, when you have, uh, you know, the, the employees who you know sh- share the vision of public safety, uh, and you see their customers get up there and talk about all the wonderful things, you, I just my guess is is that there's a lot of people that are buying into that to that vision and passion and 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 that core value. Um, so uh, that's and it, gets, I, and it gets back to that core values thing. It gets back to you yeah. and I. I think over the last probably three years have really realized that the core values is critical in binding people together and getting them to move faster uh, and care. Not that they don't care about their paycheck, but they care less about it because they enjoy who they work with. They enjoy what they're doing and know that they're making a difference. And I gotta, I'm gonna go off script again, Jeff. I'm gonna shift gears. I no I was, way. I was, yeah, it's true. You're already I, off script. Yeah, I know. I know. I, we haven't even started on talking about it. But anyways, I was lucky enough to host a, an entrepreneur organizational entrepreneur organization panel last Thursday. I raced back from uh, Pennsylvania to uh, to to do and, and to host this. And I'd say what's neat is, as you know, big humongous fan of the entrepreneurs organization EO, as uh, we in the organization love call it, but. I was uh, continue to be amazed again. Remember, in, in EO, these people are, are started a business, at least a million dollars in revenue, and and they're and they're and they're people that that are out there to learn. They're they're hitting, they're attending these uh, these sessions. They're 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 trying to you know find better ways to do things. And it's interesting. Uh, I I kind of made a comment that there were about four or five people in the room. Actually, I'll go with two or three that had really fully embraced all the things that we talk about. And I'm telling you, Jeff, you know just the, the growth is phenomenal. I mean, I, you know, I'll just mention one who'll probably kill me, but um, Aaron Grossman, you know, he's a guy that I, I've known for uh, as a company called Alliance Staffing and, you know, in, in what you and I would argue is a tough industry. And he's a guy that just jumped in with both feet. He, you know, he shared his core values, shared his strategies, shared what he does for the employees. And, you know, those guys are just, they're, they're exploding. I mean, you know, they're and they're, you know, just, but those are, those are the exceptions, not the rule. And Jeff, I, I cannot figure out why more entrepreneurs don't jump into what we we talk about yeah i guess our dirty little secret is ever if everybody did what ypo vistage and eo and these other organizations are asking them to do uh there'd be less of a need for evolution <laughs> and mike and mike goldman right i mean you know he, he's yeah. he's uh, he's got some great concepts and thoughts that we're going to talk about later on today but it's yeah i don't know i don't get it i don't get yeah. it so let's talk about last week. Last week, our guest, Dory Clark. Oh, uh, is that what we were supposed to talk about earlier? Is that what we were supposed to talk about when we first got on? Well, you know, yeah. I – And I'm excited about it. You I'm keep excited. me on my toes. I'll just say yeah. that. But anyway, she is the adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University and author of Reinventing You and Stand Out. And, uh, and you know, what I loved about what she talked about is she really just kind of put a uh, – 
a process, if you will, for those people that need a you know document or process around kind of getting your message out and um, uh, getting yourself noticed. And uh, you know, it was this whole notion of uh, you know maybe not saying something controversial as much as it was being credible in whatever you were saying uh, and making sure there was researched. I think I loved it was, you know, the message isn't about you. It's about the message. It's about the thing that you're passionate about. It's, it's you know, it's, so it's not about Brendan Anderson or Jeff Cadlick. It's about growing, you know, second stage businesses. And that, that makes it, it's a whole different view, right? That's right. That's right. But for those of you that, you know, would like to, uh, uh, go back and listen to uh, that episode. Uh, uh, you can. Uh, Dory Clark is is her name. www.doryclark.com. That's d o r i e clark.com. Or at Dory Clark, she has a massive following, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, this week uh, we've got a guest, Mike Goldman. Uh, Mike is a uh, nationally recognized speaker, consultant, author of the book, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. He has over 25 years of consulting and coaching companies from the local entrepreneur to the Fortune 500. Throughout his career at Accenture and Deloitte Consulting, he helped companies like Verizon, Disney, uh, Ralph Lauren, Chanel, Kmart, etc., etc. Many very well-recognized names, many consumer product uh, companies. Uh, in 2007, Mike founded Performance Breakthrough to help mid-sized companies achieve dramatic business growth. And he does this by working with leadership teams to ensure that they have the right people, strategies, and execution habits for growth. Um, and he can be found at www.passionateorganizations.com or on Twitter at mgoldman10. Um, but I look forward to, to talking to him. I think that he will have a lot of great insights. And, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, passion is a hard thing to kind of get your hands around. You know what I mean? It's you either have it or you don't. And, uh um, you know, he has four secrets that I'm anxious to hear about. Although, in preparation for this, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been clued in as to what those secrets are. But anyway, I, I'm sure he can explain it much better than I can. Well, and as, as you know, um, the, the listeners of the program know how much we like uh, business processes and Vern Harnish. Apparently, Mike knows Vern Harnish pretty well because he wrote the the intro to his book or the four word for his book and um so obviously uh, if you know if, if fern's willing to do that we know this guy's rock solid right that's exactly right uh before i get much further i want to remind everyone that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com we want to hear what works and what doesn't we want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs you can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. And we also have a, uh, a Twitter handle, don't we? It's at the second stage, uh, at 2ND stage. Um, and I also want to take the time to thank our sponsors who are very, very thankful for McGladry LLP. They're a leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. 
Uh, and with that, uh, we're going to take our first break here uh, on the second stage. And we come back, we'll be with our guest this week, uh, Mike Goldman, again, the nationally recognized speaker, consultant, and author of the book, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of, of Passionate Organizations. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I've got my partner, Brendan Anderson, on the line here as well. Like any forum, the show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. And we invite you to continue the discussion. Discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com. You can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. We have our guest, Mike Goldman, uh, nationally recognized speaker, consultant, author of the book, Performance Breakthrough The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations, on the line. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, guys. Great to be on. It is. Go ahead, Mike. Brendan. No, I was just going to say, during the break, we found out that uh, that Mike uh, knows Rich Manders, who's also, uh, you know, is a, is a Vern uh, a person. And, uh, and, and uh, Rich, or Mike, uh, Rich has been on our show a couple times and is in a, is in a forum with me. So uh, we, we, we love what you guys are working on. And, and obviously, you've taken it to, a, you know, to a whole nother, whole, whole nother level. So uh, we're, uh, we're excited to, to find out more about the background. Excellent. Well, I'm going to see Rich at a conference in October, so I'm sure we'll we'll talk a little bit about you guys, I guess. Yeah. Well, he was begging me to come, and Uh-oh. I told him I would go. He, he, he was t- I told him I'd go in May. You guys have like another one in May or something. There's so another that, one. Uh, There's a growth summit in October. The leadership summits in May. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll, we'll hopefully see you there. That'll be good. But Mike, tell me, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you come to find you know this niche, and and then obviously you started off at Accenture and Deloitte, and how did you how did you find going from the big companies, I assume, to smaller companies, and just tell us about how how you got where you are. 
Yeah, I spent basically the first, you know, 17 years or so of my life working, uh, uh, being a consultant, working with Fortune 500s, and you mentioned some of the companies, so I won't name them again, <clears throat> and uh, really decided for a number of reasons uh, back uh, close to 10 years ago that, uh, that I was kind of, uh, frankly, I was tired of that life. The work was pretty good, but I was traveling all over the country, uh, you know, home on the weekends, and that's it, and I had two kids at home, and I said, I've got to... I've got to do something to uh, to have more of a life outside of this stuff. So I uh, decided to start my own business. And when I did that, I really wanted to focus on the small and mid-sized companies. Uh, and, and part of that is because when you work with, with a Fortune 500, you can, you could work with them and, and implement a strategy that takes their business, you know, from point A to point B and, and it's great stuff. But you go in the next day and you realize you really haven't changed anybody's life. And when I work with the small and mid-market companies, if I could help a CEO go from, you know, 5% growth to, to 30% growth, it's really changing lives. And, and uh, it's just a much, much more, much more kind of uh, engaging, productive, and, and fun environment to work with. So the last, you know, eight or 10 years, I've really been, been working uh, with small and mid-market companies. It's, it's, it really is amazing when you go into a company that has a passion like that and just how everybody is it's just it's just things get done um, you know I, I was mentioning uh, before you got on that, that uh, we have a business uh, in in uh, Pittsburgh at the Pittsburgh area that I just you know went to a conference they had and I just couldn't it's just so neat to see people that are all just so excited to be there um, and then but, but obviously not all I don't know what percentage but it's a it's a low percentage in my opinion of particularly smaller businesses how did you how did you decide how to start putting passion into businesses? How did that come to you? And then yeah, maybe well, kind of walk. It, Go ahead. What happened is, you know, from, you know, man, I've been consulting for, for over 25 years now. And, and what I found is, you know, so often we would work on new processes, new strategies, new systems, uh, and, and you'd, I'd go back and look at those companies kind of, uh, I'd go back six months or a year after we'd finished this big project to implement a new system, and what you realize is things hadn't changed much, that it was still the same people doing the same things, getting around the systems, and, and what I really started to realize in a big way is that, you know, you can have a mediocre strategy with... Um, let me go the other way. You can have a great strategy. If you've got the wrong people, it doesn't matter. You can have a mediocre strategy with the right people, A players that are totally engaged and passionate about what they're doing, and with a mediocre strategy, you will kick butt. So it really becomes more than anything about the people. And the more I, I, I read and learned and worked with companies, I mean, there's a, there's a famous Gallup organization study that I reference in my book that says 29% of employees are truly engaged in their work. And there was a recent study done of just leaders, and they found the same thing. About 29, 30% of folks are truly engaged. And to me, you know, that means you, you've got over two-thirds of people just kind of sleepwalking through the day. And, and if I've got a third of my folks or less than a third that, that are truly engaged, I'm, it's, like, it's like running on an engine at, at one-third power. So, so I really, you know, I realized over the years that the biggest obstacle to growth is really about having the right people, finding the right people, keeping the right people, making sure they're passionate and engaged in what they're doing. In, in your book, Performance Breakthrough, you talk about passion and, and, and that sort of thing. Why is it important that people are passionate about it? 
for a number of reasons. Number one, I mean, passion, it, it's not just about, oh, isn't, wouldn't it be great if we had a fun working environment? You know, it's not about that. Sometimes it's fun. It's great if it is. But passion is really about productivity. It's about creativity. It's about profitability. It's about having people in the business that kind of feel like owners, right? If, if you're the entrepreneur, if you're the owner, if you're the CEO, you know, the thinking is, well, no one, I'm the owner. No one's ever going to be as passionate as I am about the business. And that may be true, but if you can get an organization that kind of approaches your level of passion, that, that's going to result in people working harder, people working smarter. And by the way, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, none of it matters anyway, right? I mean, so many people just kind of sleepwalk through their careers just waiting until the day they retire, you know? And, and for most people, the day they retire, they, they, then they realize they've got nothing to do. So for me, I don't ever want to stop doing what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. So I really try and, and uh, help organizations achieve that same thing and just kind of develop that level of passion. So, so with, like I'm sure when you talk to uh, you know an entrepreneur organization or some of these groups, you know everybody says, "Oh, that's great, that's fantastic," you know. But 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 getting it's a lot harder. What what's the number one or mistake that these small to medium sized businesses make when they try to you know scale up? Yeah, I think what they do is is they focus so much on strategy. Uh, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, and they think that if they only have the right strategy, man, they're going to break through. And that could be a startup or it could be a company that's been around for a while. And I love a, a quote that, that's been attributed to, to Peter Drucker, which is, culture eats strategy for lunch. So I think it comes back to the biggest, biggest mistake they make is they focus so much on strategy, but you can't have an incredible company without incredible people. You know, the right strategy is not going to work with the wrong people. So, so I think the idea of, you know, kind of Jim, Jim Collins from Good to Great talked about first who and then what. You know, first thing you got to do is get the right people on the bus and put them in the right seats. That's the biggest obstacle I think people have is, is, is they don't they don't focus enough. They don't know how to focus on having the right people. In fact, one of the questions, the first question I love to ask a new client when I get in front of their leadership team is I say, if you had to do it all over again, would you enthusiastically rehire everyone on your team? And there's usually real uncomfortable silence for a couple of seconds and then some snickers. Uh, and it's very rare that an organization says, yes, we would rehire everyone. So it's really about having the right people more than anything else. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do. It's a big obstacle. Number one, having the right people. Number two, making sure those people are working with, within a really uh, uh, productive culture. Hey, Mike, I have a question. Wait, and this is, I was going to ask it a different way, but if, if you say you're advising somebody in a, in a very small company, say about 20 people, and the, the CEO finally realizes that, the, that there's wonderful, hardworking people there, but really nobody, very few people there can get them where they're going. How do you, how do you start making that transition? Is it do you pick the most important position first, or, 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 is, it, or is it going back to culture? Going back to fix the culture and the people take care of themselves, or, or I realize that's a big question for a short show. It, no, it, it is, <laughs> and, and let's take two hours and answer it. No, I mean I think it's. I think you've got to start with, and and it's kind of I may cheat a little bit because I'm going to give you two things, not one, but but you've got to start with the folks you have and doing what I would call a talent assessment. You've got to look at your folks and say, I've got to figure out who are my A players, my B players, and my C players. And for my A players, I've got to re-recruit them. 
I got to make sure they're thrilled to be here, that I'm leveraging their skills. And, and who do A players know? A players know other A players. So when I look at my C players and I decide I'm going to allow them to go be an A player somewhere else or go work for my competition, it's my A players I'm going to look to to say, who do you know? So you've got to look and, and figure out who your A players are and leverage those A players. You've got to make sure you really, you know, your C players just don't belong there. Um, and, and by the way, they're hurting the productivity of, of both your A and, and B players. And then the other part of the challenge in, in doing that talent assessment is how do you do that? What do you base it on? What does an A player look like? And, and to me, an A player is, is you've got to look at it's kind of a four quadrant you're looking at. And, and the two different axes are, uh, are, are, they, are they productive, right, from low to high productivity? And everybody's going to look at that. But the other key piece, which really gets to culture, is are they living the core values? And if someone is not living the core values, even if they're highly productive, they're cancers in your organization and they've got to go. So, so it's a combination of doing that talent assessment, but also discovering what your core values are, bringing those alive. And that's a big thing. I mean, we could spend a half day just talking about core values, but discovering what your core values are, those two things, the talent assessment and discovering those core values, th- those, those things are just critical. I agree. And, and, and honestly, I, I kind of I talk about this way too often, but it's just amazing to me. And, and, and I mentioned this earlier in the, in the first part of the show is 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 you see a hundred EO entrepreneur organization people come together and over a, a three or four year period of time, you know, one, two, three, four percent of that entire group of people really embrace this stuff. But I I would argue a hundred percent of the time that they embrace it, they're successful. Why is it? And I'm way off script here, Jeff. Why is it that such a low <laughs> percentage of the people chase this stuff and follow this? Because it's, it, it, it's not complex, but it's not easy, right? I mean, this, it, it takes discipline. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs, and, and by the way, I'm not a proponent of the fact that the, the creative, visionary entrepreneur can't be a CEO, that they start it, and then they've got to bring, they've got to hire a CEO to run it. I don't think that's always the case. But I think where you've got that creative, visionary entrepreneur, very often those folks get real excited about the idea. But getting into, how do I hold my people accountable? Every day, and that's the question I hear probably more often than any other. Is we've got all these great plans, Mike. Where it's not for lack of planning, but how do I hold my people accountable? And that tells me they don't have the right accountabilities. They may not even know what the word accountable really means. They mix it up with responsible, and those are very different things. And it means they don't have the right processes. They don't have the right communication rhythms, meeting rhythms. And those are, you know, that's not the glamorous stuff. And, that, and that's where a lot of folks fall down because it, it's kind of easy to talk about those things. It's easy to read about them, but to implement them and then keep them going consistently is not an easy thing to do. And that's one of the reasons why when I work with a client these days, my minimum is I'm working with them for 12 months because getting in and, and building those habits, doing it once is easy, but, but making them habits and then growing on top of those habits as a foundation, that takes discipline, that takes repetition. And not everybody's up for that challenge. I mean, Jeff and I, uh, and I'm probably not every show, but we, you know, we always, we, we're just big believers in a process and we're big believers in coaches. And, you know, I've never seen 
well, let me put it more positive. The return is always there. I mean, the return on that investment, the return on the time is always there. It's just, it's always amazing to me how few people do it. So let's say the company's uh, pro, uh, you know, kind of proactively anticipating growth and, and that sort of thing. Um, how, how do we, how do they, um, how do they anticipate the growth and some of the performance barriers that they're going to interpret or they're going to encounter? Yeah, and it's a, that that question is not actually as hard as it sounds, right? How do you anticipate those barriers? And your mind probably automatically thinks, man, there's 12 different barriers, and it depends on the situation. It depends on the industry. There are very predictable, inevitable barriers to growth that are going to hit these companies. And for some, they hit one of them may hit it a million dollars. Another one may hit a five million. Another one may hit it at half a million or or ten or fifteen million. But but the first barrier to growth is really about leadership. It's the need for the executive team to grow as leaders. The need for them to get better at hiring the right people, at delegating, motivating, holding the team accountable, envisioning the future. Notice I didn't say predicting the future, but envisioning that future. So, so that, that first barrier, and, and, and I'm going to mention three, and these aren't in sequential order, but the first barrier is really people, people, the executive team needs to grow as leaders. That's number one. Number two is about systems and structure. You know, at some point when you go from three people in a room that can say, hey, why don't you do this and I'll do that, you need to put some systems and structure in place. You need to have the right processes. You need to create the right organizational structure. You might need systems to, and I don't need mean complex, uh, you know, IT systems, but you need some systems to, you know, communicate better, to prioritize better, to track progress better. Um, you know, uh, so, so systems and structure become a real barrier. And then, and then the third and, and last barrier, I think, is really about the business model and the organization model. As you grow, uh, and this is, you know, as you grow, you're meeting new competition. As you grow, maybe your clients change. As you grow, maybe the industry or the economy is changing along with you. You've got to make sure that, that you're looking at your big strategy. You're looking at your business model. You're looking at your organizational model and updating that before somebody's going somebody's gonna, to you know, update theirs before you and, and kind of knock you out of business. So kind of uh, the idea of looking at your business model and disrupt, disrupting yourself before somebody else disrupts you, those, those are the three big barriers that happen to every company. It's about leadership, it's about systems and structure, and then it's about the model, the business model and the organizational model. Maybe give us some examples of some of the companies out there that, that really get it and how and how they're creating the passion and getting their getting their people involved. Yeah, and and here you know I'll mention a couple that that everybody will know, but then I think you know my guess is most of the folks that are that are listening to this are small and mid-sized businesses. So I, I don't want to I don't want people to think oh it's only big companies that can do this. But if you look at companies uh, you know like the Container Store. You know, and, and if you haven't read, uh, Kip Tindall wrote a book called Un- um, Uncontainable, which is great. But his whole philosophy, Kip Tindall's the founder and CEO of Container Store. His philosophy is one equal three. One, the one equal three philosophy is, um, you know, one, um, one high performer 
equals three mediocre performers. That one philosophy drives them to do some amazing things to hire the right people and develop those people. So I think the Container Store does a great job. I think Zappos does a great job. And they've got a lot going on right now with this whole holacracy thing and taking away, you know, everybody's titles. And, and you know, I don't know where that's going to go. It seems like it's been a bumpy road. But uh, putting that aside, they've done some incredible things. And you've probably heard about their, their 3000 dollar departure bonus they'll give folks. They actually offer people after they spend thousands of, of, of training, uh, investment and training on these folks, uh, new employees, they offer them $3,000 to leave because they want to make sure people want to be there so bad that they, they, they really buy into this culture that they say, screw it, keep your $3,000. I love the job and I want to stay. So I think companies like Zappos, companies like the Container Store, um, and then smaller companies. Uh, one, one of the case studies in my book is, is a company called the Clarion Group. They're an IT services company in New York City. Uh, a guy named Charlie Buscarino is the CEO. You know, after nine years, they were pretty flat. You know, they hit a ceiling, weren't really growing. And then he decided uh, to, to really step back and change the culture of his organization and uh, decided that he would be, uh, he would set the vision and tone for the organization and his team would tell him when he needed to roll up his sleeves and get involved in the details. So it really allowed his team to have impact, his team to take ownership. And once he did that, his company doubled twice over the next three years. So you don't have to be a big company to do this stuff, and it doesn't have to take a lot of money. Uh, smaller companies are doing this as well. Okay, so you, you wrote Performance Breakthrough in, in a narrative style. Um, it's a little bit unusual for a scaling for a book about scaling a business. Why did you uh, Why did you write it that way? A uh, couple reasons. The, the first one is very personal. The, the book is actually, <laughs> excuse me, is actually semi autobiographical. It's about a business owner oh. whose father has a son with something called Asperger's syndrome, and, and my son has Asperger's syndrome. And the way I came up with the idea for the book is my wife and I were actually at a conference for parents of kids with Asperger's. And and one of the speakers was up there talking about the topic was how to raise resilient children. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Everything he was talking about was exactly what I was advising companies to do. So it it just, it was, it planted the seed of this idea of which became the story of the book, which is a business owner who learns things from his family therapist that he can go apply to his business. So, so that, that became kind of the seed that the story came from. The other, other reason I created it in the form of a story is a lot of business books I read, and I read like crazy, about a third of the book is really, really good stuff. And then I feel like two-thirds of the book are, are kind of fluff that they need. They just needed enough to so, so it looked like a book. Uh, and a lot of it's kind of a waste. And, and for me, I like books that get right to the point. I like books that tell stories because you remember stories, you know, a la Patrick Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and Death by Meeting. I love those books with business parables. So I just thought it was a great way to get the point across and make sure that the concepts weren't fuzzy kind of concepts that I was able to show in the story actually how to implement this and what some of the challenges would be along the way. Okay. I want to move to kind of some longer term, you know, kind of visions and, you know, kind of establishing purpose and vision for an organization and, and how this helps, you know, the company over the long run, the long haul. Yeah. You're saying what, what's the importance of doing that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And how it, and how it, 
Go ahead, I'm sorry. Vision and purpose for an organization, and Jim Collins would call that the core ideology of an organization. That really provides the foundation, right? When you look at purpose, to me, purpose is the why for your organization. It's not what you do, it's the why. The core values, that's the how of what you do. Uh, it's, and, and your purpose is not, it's not about making money, right? I mean, uh, when I sit in a room with the CFO uh, and the leadership team and I say, okay, what, what's the purpose of your company? The CFO will always say it's about making money. Uh, but to me, making money is a great side effect of adding some value to society. So when you look at, at the purpose, uh, the purpose really provides the fuel for the organization. You know, if you go down throughout an organization, some of the vo- those folks can care less what your earnings before interest and taxes are. They just think somebody up a- in a bigger office than theirs is getting rich from that. But if they buy into the purpose of that organization, really understand why that organization exists, they can really get passionate about things. So the, so the purpose, the vision, that's, kind of, that's the core, the core ideologies of the organization that really drive the culture. And, and to me, it's like exercising, right? When, they, when you exercise, they say uh, the most important thing you need to do is exercise your, your core, right? Because then it's going to strengthen the rest of your body. So, you know, the, the, those core ideologies of purpose and vision really should guide everything you do. Should, it should be kind of the, the compass you look at to drive your decisions. Are we hiring the right people? Are we bringing on the right clients? Uh, strategies may change. People come and go. But your purpose and values is really that foundation that should, uh, should be around a good long time. It sure makes it easier to keep people focused in the long haul when you got those things going. I tell you, it's uh, it's just amazing to, when it works. How wonderful it is! Hey, before you, we get on, it right. I mean, for for a lot of companies, they become plaques on the wall, and that's oh, all I, they are. And if that's all they are, then it's not doing anything. If they're really alive in the organization, then it's it's an amazing thing. It is, and if you know, if the top. This is my take, and I'm, you know, obviously, if the top three, four, five people aren't living, breathing, and dying, it, it's it's kind of over, anyways, right? I mean, the, the really is is it? This is my. I'm kind of give it, it, it. You know, it's kind of leadership. You know, if if the top people aren't doing it, the uh, you know, it's it, it is just a plaque, in my opinion. Yeah. What, what do they say? A fish stinks from the head down, right? Exactly, exactly. Hey, um, for the listeners, what's what's the one thing uh, you'd recommend they go out and do right now with their business? You know, I think the first thing, and I kind of mentioned it a little earlier, I think the first thing is you need, and it's one of these core ideology pieces, you need to discover what your core values are. I think that that's first. It's about proactively creating the right culture. And, and notice I didn't say create your core values, or I said discover your core values. Because I think for all of us, whether, you know, for some folks, it's a company of one. I mean, I'm a, I'm, in a company, I'm a company of one, and I have a set of core values. So it doesn't matter how big you are, but your core values is kind of what's, what's best, what's right, what's most noble about your culture. So it's really about discovering what those core values are. And there are exercises I do with my clients to, do, uh, to figure that out. There's something called the Mission to Mars exercise that we use. And if you Google search values Mission to Mars exercise, you'll probably find some stuff on it. But it's really about discovering those core values. And then it's not just about putting them on a plaque. It's not just about communicating them. You've got to make sure they're alive. And, and, and the way I do that with my clients is I take them through three tests of a core value. 
The first is, are you committed to firing anyone who continuously and blatantly violates a core value? And that's a tough one because maybe it's your best salesperson that's violating a core value. But if that's truly a core value, they've got to go because they're a cancer in the organization. Second test is, are you willing to take a financial hit to uphold that core value? And the third is, is that core value alive today? Can you tell recent stories about that core value? So I really think that's the start, is, is really focusing on those core values. That's great. I, yeah, I, I don't want to take the thunder out of your book, but I do I do love the concept of the of the four secrets. And I was hoping we could kind of talk some you know, talk about that and, and maybe um, talk about the four secrets, but then also how you how you how you got four, why four and kind of what what's your which what what the big what your kind of takeaway for each one is. Because it's it's pretty pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, and, and so the four secrets, you know, really start the, the first secret is called acceptance. And acceptance is accepting that we're all different, that, you know, people talk about the golden rule, right? Uh, Treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And I look at that and say that, you know what, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I treat others the way I want to be treated? You know, maybe my primary motivation is money and fame and the person I'm trying to motivate, their primary motivation may be time with their family or service to the community. You know, I I would hope I don't try and motivate them by what would motivate me. So acceptance is about accepting we're all different, treat others the way they want to be different. That's the first secret. Second one, which builds on that, is called leverage. And leverage is about... It's about not beating yourself up and other other people up for their weaknesses. It's about discovering and leveraging their passions and their strengths. It's about helping people become more of who they are by leveraging those strengths, spending more time on the things that that they're best at. That's what leverage is all about. So first, first secret was acceptance. Second is leverage. Third is impact. And impact says you need to give people the freedom to get the job done. You need to allow people to take ownership so they can have true impact. You need to trust them enough that they can go and do. You give them the goals, let them figure out a way to get there. That's impact. And the fourth is celebration. Celebration's about not just celebrating results, but celebrating progress along the way. Celebration is about having fun at work. Celebrations about the fact that, you know, we spend most of our waking hours at work. Uh, why not find a way to make it fun? So I really feel like those four acceptance, leverage, impact, celebration. In my book, I go through a, a, a ton of tools within each one and starter ideas for how to implement that stuff. But for me, if you're doing that within an organization, you're unstoppable. I, 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 I'm going to ask Jeff this, and, and, and I swear that this oh is for everybody. This is not. This isn't. This isn't scripted. He whatever. Jeff, out of acceptance, leverage, impact, and celebration, which one is el- is evolution the worst at? Celebration, by far. <laughs> we're the worst <laughs> celebrators in the history of the planet. It's like we do something that, that, that like, and then we, we're just happy it's done. We're like happy it's done. And and our um, talk maybe talk to us a little bit about celebration. How do you how do you celebrate better? Because Jeff Jeff, get your pen out. You know, the tough part about celebration is, and I'll give you an example. Let's say, let's say right now, I doubled the number of sales meetings with prospective clients. You know, I did that starting tomorrow. I doubled the number of sales meetings. Would my profit go up? Would my revenue go up right away? And the answer is no, because there's a sales cycle. 
right? It may be a month or two before I see those sales go up. Well, in most organizations, what happens is people are pounding away. And because of whether it's the sales cycle or, or, or cash flow cycle or whatever, whatever it is, it takes time before activities lead to results. But what happens is we don't celebrate any, if we celebrate anything at all, we celebrate because we reach some goal at the end of the year or, or we hit some financial target at the end of the year. Well, if you've got folks just, you know, doubling their activity throughout the year and the results aren't there, you know what, by the time you'd see the results, those folks are going to be burnt out and they're going to quit. So part of it is finding what are the right things to track. What are the right metrics so you can track activity along the way and celebrate that, that activity? What, you know, could, you, could you create a quarterly theme within an organization that gets people motivated and, and behind something? You know, part of it, too, is people set annual goals. And, and I think you know, annual goals are, are, are not usually worth the paper they're printed on, let alone three-year goals and five-year goals. To me, the only reason to set longer-term goals is to help you understand what direction you're going in. What the, the main thing I do with my clients is I'll start off with them. We'll create a strategic plan. We'll create a plan for growth. You know, we'll do a two-day retreat every year to do that. But then we're, we're replanning every quarter. Every quarter we're coming up with what's that next 90-day sprint. And that allows you to feel like there's a finish line. I've got clients that just work so hard all the time, but they never feel like they hit a finish line because it always just keeps going. You got to give people a finish line so they feel like they've accomplished something. You know, Mike, what percentage of your clients do you think measure the inputs as opposed to, for instance, what we see a lot is an entrepreneur say, hey, I want to be a $50 million revenue company, but really haven't really thought through those individual stepping stones to get there. How many of your clients that you started with have those stepping stones in place? Uh, you know, there's, there's all different levels, right? So it's not as black and white, but, but I would say, you know, it's probably, you know, 10 or 15%. Of folks, you know, a lot of folks have those goals. We're going to double within three years, but then when you really get down to how are you going to do it, there, there's possible. either no answer or varying answers. And here's here's an interesting one that, that I always like to do. It's kind of fun for me, but it's not necessarily fun for the company. Is I'll have you know the CEO will tell me. In fact, I did this with, with it was an accounting firm, and the three partners in the accounting firm. There were three partners and about 25 other employees, and I had them all in the room. They told me that they knew that, that everybody knew exactly what the priorities were, what they needed to do to grow over the next year, over the next 90 days. So I said, great. And then I said, without saying it to everybody, I went around the room, and I asked people around the room to write down what they thought the three priorities were for the year and for the next 90 days. What do they have to do to make this happen? And I probably got about 15 different answers. Hmm. So it's so a lot of times people think they've got it because the CEO has it in his or her head, and maybe they mentioned it once six months ago, so they think everybody else has got it. But they really don't. There's really no alignment, uh, let alone tracking this stuff. There's, there's no alignment as to what the goal was, what should they be doing. Everybody's just you know being as smart as they can, doing what they think is best, but there's really no alignment. So typically, you know, maybe 10 or 15 percent uh, of companies are doing a decent job there. For the rest of them, rest of them, it's really a new habit that we've got to build over time. That's great stuff. Uh, we are here with our guest, Mike Goldman, nationally recognized speaker, consultant, author of the book, 
Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. You can uh, learn more about the Mike and his book at www.passionateorganizations.com. And you can follow Mike on Twitter at mgoldman10. Uh, Mike, this has been great stuff. A lot of what you've said has resonated uh, with Brendan and I and our audience because these are a lot of the things that we talk about. But again, as uh, uh, before you got on the, the, the phone, I was very very interested to hear about how you encapsulate passion because that is such a um, it's not it's a difficult thing to to measure and kind of put into a process. So uh, we appreciate having you on the show and encourage people to visit your website and uh, look forward to having you back on the show sometime in the future. That's great, guys. And, and by the way, the book's website you mentioned, Passionate Organizations. The website for my business is performance-breakthrough.com. But uh, this has been great. I really appreciate this, guys. It is. It is our pleasure. We the best part of this show is we get to learn uh, along with our audiences, and and uh, it's uh, it's been great. Uh, with that, we're going to take another brief break here on the second stage, and be back shortly to discuss uh, today's show and our guest, Mike Goldman. Thanks for being on the show, Mike, and thanks for tuning into the second stage. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson, uh, thank you for being a part of the second stage, a show about small business best practices. Um, we are uh, kind of having some concluding thoughts and comments about our today's guest, Mike Goldman, a nationally recognized speaker, consultant, author of the book, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passion Organizations. Uh, his business and his consulting practice is www.performance-breakthrough.com. And the website for the book is www.passionateorganizations.com. And Mike can be found also at mgoldman10 on Twitter. Uh, Brennan, what uh, what do you think? You know, I, I just love uh, you, know, you know you with the this, that show you mentioned earlier. We get to meet some just absolutely wonderful, passionate people about 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 
you know, that are working on working on helping small businesses scale. And, um, you know, I, I say it, I think every week, or I mean to say it every week that, that the companies that, f- that pick a process, get a coach, endorse it, they always succeed. And, you know, and, and I'm sure somebody could prove me wrong statistically that 1% of them, you know, don't hit their goals, but, um, but it, it works. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty neat stuff. Yeah, it is. And you know what? I, I also thought was really interesting. At the very outset of the show, you asked him about, you know, he had kind of gone from working with, you know, some big name Fortune 500 type clients down into, you know, smaller to mid-sized businesses. And, you know, his, his answer was just changing people's lives. And uh, that's often what my response is to what you and I get to do each and every day here at, uh, at Evolution is is we're down there at the ground level with these passionate entrepreneurs and have an opportunity to really make an impact, which is extremely rewarding uh, for for us. Well, I mentioned it earlier in the show. Uh, you know, sitting there watch John John DeGory and Knowledge Center, and, and, and I just using them because I was there last week. I, you know, I, obviously we have other partner companies we're extremely proud of, but you just watch the passion of what they're doing, and, it, and it's you're proud to be an investor. You're proud to be supporting what they're doing. You're, you know, you you wish you could do more, right? I mean, you're, you know, you're, but uh, but. You know, if but if you give them great financial, I'm going to go into the five pillars, Jeff. If you give them great financials, a a plan that everybody endorses, you let them hire the people that can truly change the lives and 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 you know get the team where they need to be, and you implement a process that delivers transparency and accountability. It really does, it does, you know, kind of provide the roadmap to to let people decide what their passions and purposes and 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 really what they want to become, and and go back to changing lives. So that's uh. That's it's it's. I think I uh, if I've been drinking, Jeff, I don't feel like I. I, mean, I just you know, Kool-Aid. I just I'm, yeah, just cool just cool Um, yeah. you know, also it's remarkable to me because this came up, you know, with last week's guest Dory Clark. You know, the the core values, and uh, it just seems to to continue to uh, uh, resonate. And he uh, he used a term that I hadn't really heard before. Uh, you know, something about noble, uh, you know, because he said that he was a uh, organization of one, but he still had core values and that um, they were values that were noble, uh, which I thought was kind of a, a, an interesting um, a phraseology. And, and then uh, the four secrets um, <laughs> and the in that the, his his. Shortest implementation now is twelve months because it's really about getting the cadence and the routine and so on and so forth. I thought was for me another uh, uh, important observation that 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 Mike shared. Uh, what are your and, thoughts? And that's the shortest, right? I mean, and I think you and I would argue it's twelve to twenty-four months. Where you know, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I think he said the shortest is twelve. I think twenty-four is probably the average. And if your company continues to grow and continues to change, um, I think. Uh, uh, Vern Harnish in his book Scaling Up argues that you know a lot of that stuff depends on how fast you're growing. If you're growing at 40-50% a year, you probably need to have that coach. You need to do that stuff. Um, so so it's uh, um, it, that's the shortest. I'm sorry for beating that one up, but um, but my God, if it's working, why change it? 
No, but I think you're right. You know, when when we invest in companies, as we say, we invest in front of the revenue curve. We're putting in the process, procedures, framework for decision making, uh, obviously in a collaborative way with the the leadership team and and um, putting in the five pillars. That's you know, 18 to 24 months before we really know kind of what we've got and whether or not this thing is going to move uh, easily in the direction that, that we want all want it to, or it's going to take a little bit more uh, more uh, effort. The four hey, I, got, secret- I, got, I got something to tie something together here. Um, okay. I don't know if you saw the, the news today. Um, Amazon, some, I guess, uh, yeah. was it Times or Wall Street uh, uh, did a uh, – uh, an article on uh, you know basically how horrible it is to work there and and uh, Jeff Bezos gets up and says well God if that company if that if our company really is that way I wouldn't want to work here either you know or, or they should all leave and it's you know kind of ties back to that twenty nine to thirty percent of people are truly engaged I mean why would you want to work in a place where where you know, one two thirds of the people weren't engaged in what the company was trying to do Yeah no nobody I mean I I wouldn't want to work there. I mean, for but, sure. but apparently two-thirds of the population, over two-thirds of the population does, right? And that, I I mean, that I do believe, honestly. I know it sounds awful, but, you know, in a large organization, you know, we've always said you could probably mail it in for a week and nobody would notice. Uh, but in a small company, everybody matters. Uh, if you're running properly and you got the right people in the right seats, they will get noticed and uh, you got to bring it every day. That's kind of the challenge and why you and I are addicted to Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> so you made a, a, an important point on the four secret celebration and, and he's like, look, sometimes results take so long that you got to celebrate the progress along the way. And I think that is something that, as you pointed out, we're very, very guilty of. Well, I mean, I, I laugh, you know, you and I are, Barbara in our office has a has a, a rock uh, to or not a rock a a, a oh my God help me a scorecard to try to get eight inbound uh, opportunities for us to look at a uh, a week and well, last week she had twenty nine and we just smiled I mean that we should have had a you know how. How what a great chance to have a that was you know the highest to date in the history of of evolution. We should have had a little something, right? I mean, it's just yeah. you want to shoot shoot yourself, not shoot yourself because yeah. that'd be dramatic. But that would you know, be messy too. That'd be messy. So it's just we you know that would have been a great chance to celebrate. And I kicked myself post facto when I realized that I dropped the ball again. I drop the yeah. ball so often, Jeff. I don't even feel it hitting the ground anymore. I know, but you know, it's it's not how far you fall; it's uh, how you bounce back. Uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. We hope that you have some uh, good takeaways and action items uh, each week. We want you to think about what your organization could be, and always remember to have passion for possibilities. Have a great week, everyone, and remember just to get started and uh, continue to listen to The Second Stage for all the latest and greatest great ideas. Thanks for tuning in to The Second Stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. 